All right, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. I'm going to read verses 22 through 30. We're just picking up right where we left off. We are trucking right on through Mark. We're about halfway through. Uh, last week, we read about Jesus feeding the 4,000. Not to be confused with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Kind of similar in some ways, but also there are some different <laughs> details in those stories that let us know that it was two different events where Jesus fed thousands of people. It was a miracle that Jesus did, at least on these two occasions, and maybe even more that aren't recorded for us. And so we're picking up uh, right after that, uh, verse 22, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And then they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look to me like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and he saw distinctly. He was cured and could see everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them again, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these words today, and I pray, God, that there will be some good that we'll get from this today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak through me and to each one of us here, God, that we would grow in your word. And I pray that you just would take control of me and hide me behind the cross, dear Lord, that I would be obedient to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you and that's going to be helpful to each one in this room. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Now here we have a couple of stories, uh, kind of toward the close here of chapter 8. And the first one we see, which is something not uncommon to what we see Jesus have done all, already up until this point through the book of Mark. He's healing people. He fed the 4,000, and now he's on his way. Uh, he had used that feeding of the 4,000 as a good teaching point uh, for the disciples. You may remember that they, up to this point in the book of Mark, uh, boy, it doesn't seem like they, they quite get it. It seems as though they're a little dull. They see Jesus doing these miracles, and then even after they had saw him feed the 5,000, uh, when he fed the 4,000, they were still asking the same question. Well, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? And Jesus uses the uh, idea of bread uh, as a teaching point to make a connection, spiritually saying, look, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, he told them that, but he wasn't really talking about bread that the Pharisees had made. He was talking about teachings that the Pharisees were teaching. They were not good teachings. Uh, they were saying the wrong things sometimes, leading people to do the wrong things sometimes. And Jesus was always using the things that he did as a teaching opportunity, as a way for people to know and to realize that he was Lord and Savior. Now, he did all of these miracles, but the miracles were not what was most important to Jesus. He really wanted people to see who he was and to follow him uh, for who he was, not necessarily to follow him just for a miracle. They came through Bethsaida. Uh, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Now, I don't know who they are. It could be the disciples might have brought him to Jesus. Probably the man's friends maybe were who brought him to Jesus. Uh, but there was somebody who brought this blind man to Jesus. Of course, word had gotten around. 
Everywhere that Jesus goes now, it seems like every passage we read, there's always people that are gathering around. There's always people that are coming to Jesus. There are sometimes people who are bringing other people who are demon-possessed or diseased to Jesus to be healed. And here this group brings this blind man to Jesus. And he looked, excuse me, he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Now, again, this is not uncommon either. We've seen this quite a few times for Jesus just in the book of Mark. He never made a big to-do about what he was doing. He led the man out of the village. He didn't want to make a big deal about things. Now, there were times that he did miracles in front of large crowds, in particular the feeding of the, of the thousands that we just read about last week. There were times that there were miraculous things that occurred, uh, things that would have been uh, amazing for people to behold, things that people would do, uh, that Jesus would do physically that people could see. But yet and still there were other times where Jesus would just speak the word, where he would just speak. All right, whatever you've asked, is, uh, you know, your child has been made well or whatever it is, he would speak. He wouldn't even have to be in the same place as the one who was sick. Sometimes Jesus would do things in a big, grand, physical way, like the feeding of the 5,000. Sometimes he would just simply just say, all right, you're healed, and the person would be healed. Sometimes he would touch the person in some way, and that's what we see in this passage today. Jesus didn't do everything the same way every time. Why did Jesus do things different? Well, I don't really know a good answer to that question. He was Jesus, and that's just the way that it needed to be done, so he did things differently and did things quite grossly, I might add. Now, this is kind of a gross story right here. you got this guy that comes to Jesus, and Jesus leads him out of the village. He leads him away from all the people to not make a big fuss and a big to-do about what's going on. He doesn't really want to draw attention to himself. He doesn't want riots to break out. That was probably a big reason why Jesus was doing things in secret. Uh, because Jesus knew the time had not yet come for his death. He knew that if he was uh, to do too many things in public, that there would be so many people following him. It could cause a revolt. People would be trying to make him king. And that's not what Jesus came for, at least not in his first coming. Now, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But the first time he came, he came as a servant. He came to preach to us. He came to teach us. He came to reveal the truth to us. He came to show us what we needed. He came to die for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's what Jesus came for the first time he came. Now, he is king, and he will return one day as king, and we will, we will honor him and worship him as so. But this first time he was on earth, he was trying to kind of keep a low profile. Uh, he didn't want to draw a lot of attention to himself. He leads this man out of the village, and he spits on his eyes and lays his hands on him. Now, why did Jesus use spit on people? I don't know the answer to that question. We saw that a few verses back a few weeks ago where he spit. There was somebody that couldn't talk, and he spit and touched their tongue, and they were able to speak again. Now, why Jesus would use this thing that we would all say, well, that's a pretty nasty thing. That's a pretty gross thing, but yet that is the means by which Jesus chose to act in a physical way here. Now, sometimes Jesus did that. Sometimes he did things in a physical way. Now, why Jesus touched people physically, he laid his hands on this man, uh, sometimes and not others, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but maybe since the man was blind and he couldn't see what was going on, maybe Jesus just simply wanted him to be able to feel what was going on and to know that something was happening, to know that it was the touch of Jesus that healed this man's eyes, and it was nothing else other than the touch of Jesus. So Jesus spits on this man's eyes, he lays his hands on him, and then he says... Do you see anything? So the man looks around and he says, I see people, but, but they just kind of look like trees walking around. They kind of look like blobs walking around. 
Now, some would say, well, if this man is blind, then how would he know what trees look like? Well, chances are that he probably wasn't blind his whole life. He probably had seen earlier in his life, and that would explain why he would know what trees look like. He may have had some kind of disease or illness that took his eyesight. Apparently, he knew what a tree looked like, or at least he thought he did, even if he had been blind his whole life, because that's what he describes what he saw. Well, I see, I see these blobs. It looks like trees that are walking around. Now, he could kind of see, but he couldn't fully see. He couldn't clearly see. And that may beg the question, too. Well, how come Jesus wasn't able to, to make him fully be able to see all at once? Was Je did Jesus just not have enough power? Or was he only able to kind of partly make him see, and he had, to, he had to rest for a few seconds to get his healing power back up so he could touch him again to, to get him healed all the way? Well, that's not the way it happened at all. Jesus has unlimited amounts of power. He could have healed the man with speaking the word. He would have not even have had to have touched him. But yet, for whatever reason, Jesus chose to touch this man twice. The first time, he could see a little more. And the second time Jesus touched him, he could see clearly. Now, sometimes Jesus works like that in our life. Now, what we want is we want those miracles where Jesus just makes it better in an instance. Where we say, all right, Jesus, here's this problem I got. Here's this disease I'm struggling with. Jesus, I need you to answer my prayer. And what we want is we want Jesus just to say, all right, let it be done as you ask. And in an instant, all of our problem is fixed. All of our pain goes away. All of our illness is healed. And maybe, or not maybe, sometimes Jesus does act in that way. Sometimes we pray for things. And Jesus hears those prayers and he answers those prayers just in the way that we ask. And sometimes he does it really quickly. Other times we pray for things and boy, maybe it just kind of takes a while. Maybe, maybe he does a little bit of what we ask for, but he doesn't do all of what we ask for. Well, maybe that's a good thing for us to take from this passage today is that when we pray to Jesus to do things, he may not always do it on our time as fast as we want him to. Oftentimes our life with Jesus is a process. Jesus doesn't make us perfect overnight, nor does he make our situations and circumstances perfect overnight. But over time, at least this is true in my life and maybe yours too, over time I can see that the Lord is working and he's doing a little bit here and he's doing a little bit there and he's revealing a little more to me here through his word and he's kind of working on my heart a little bit in this way and he's changing my attitude a little bit in that way and all of these things that Jesus is changing are all things that I want him to change. I wish all of these things would just be perfect instantly. I wish my attitude was always perfect. I wish my heart was always right. I wish I always had the love that I wanted to have. I wish those things were already in me in their fullness, but they're not. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And it takes time sometimes for Jesus to work those things out in our life. Now, it's not that he couldn't do those things. He could do whatever he wanted to do when he wanted to. But boy, I think there's a lot of benefit for us for having to work through things because we're kind of dull just like the disciples were. That we don't always quite get what Jesus is doing. And sometimes we just have to take little chunks. Jesus knows that we can't handle a big change. He knows that we're not ready for a big adjustment. He knows it may overwhelm us or be too much for us. And he knows that we need to come to these, these conclusions and these thoughts and these, these ideas on our own that we, that we see his word and that we pray to him and we feel the Holy Spirit move and we say, aha, now I get it. 
Jesus doesn't force us to be these things that we want to be. He doesn't force us to be perfect. But over time, as we begin to seek him and he begins to work in our life, boy, we get it so much more when we come to that realization on our own, when God reveals those things to us through his word and by the Holy Spirit. And as we grow as a Christian, we grow in all of these different areas. And it doesn't always happen at once. Now, there may be some areas and some things where God works instantly in our life where God uh, matures us in one area really quickly, or God delivers us from something we ask for really quickly. Sometimes that is indeed the case. But sometimes we have to really be patient. Sometimes we have to maybe think back to the story of Job and say, boy, things are really bad in my life. God, do you even care? Are you even with me? Well, in the case of Job, God did care, and God was right there with him. But, man, Job still went through a lot in the midst of his circumstance. And so did a lot of the other believers of Jesus Christ after Jesus uh, was uh, crucified on the cross and resurrected. The early church, boy, they had it hard. And guess what? The, the current church, the modern church, boy, we still have it hard. It's not always easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but God is going to be with us. He doesn't make all of our situations better instantly, but he does give us the strength to get through them. Ultimately, we will one day be with him. And all of these things that we want to be spiritually mature in, all of these ways that we want to grow and be more like the Lord, one day we will be like him. But it may be a process just like this blind man. Maybe the blind man didn't have faith. The text doesn't tell us that. It's reasonable. Uh, sometimes when Jesus heals people, he tells them, boy, it's your faith that made you well. Now, he doesn't say any such thing here. We don't see that the blind man had or didn't have faith, but perhaps he didn't. Maybe that's why he couldn't see. Maybe he wasn't real sure about Jesus. And maybe when Jesus touched his, touched his eyes and he could see a little bit, maybe then he said, whoa, there's something about this man. Maybe that strengthened his faith. Maybe in an instant of being able to have a little bit revealed to him, he could see just enough to know that he couldn't see anything but that he wanted to see more. Maybe that's what happened with this man. Maybe that's what happens in our life as well. Maybe the reason why the Lord's not acting in our life is maybe we really don't have faith. Maybe we pray to the Lord. Maybe we say the right words. Maybe deep down in our heart, we really don't have the faith that we should have to seek the Lord. And maybe that's why the Lord works in small ways in our life sometimes. Maybe he gives us a little bit so we'll appreciate it more. So we'll know, wait, this really is the Lord. This really is the Lord at work. Maybe he gives us a little bit so we could hunger for more. Boy, that blind man wouldn't have been blind if he could have just seen uh, people walking like trees. I mean, I guess it's better than seeing nothing. But boy, you want to see everything. You want to see everything clearly. You want everything to be good. And that's what we should desire for Jesus in our life. When, when Jesus begins to work in our life, boy, we, we begin to see a little bit about who Jesus is. As we begin to read God's Word, we be learn, begin to learn a little bit about who God is and what God desires. And the more we read, the more God reveals to us. And the more God reveals to us, the more we should want to see, the more we should want to experience God. And this man, God didn't stop. Jesus didn't stop right here halfway. Jesus finished it to completion. He made him be able to see clearly. And for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he started a good work in us, and he will see it through to completion. Philippians tells us that. And so if, if you're not where you want to be in life, well, it's okay. Just keep seeking the Lord. Because chances are all of us who are in Jesus Christ are not where we want to be. I mean, we want to be in Jesus Christ, don't misunderstand that, but we're still not where we want to be, and that is our attitudes, the way we act, the things we say, the things that maybe go through our mind. Probably none of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm exactly where I want to be. We probably all want to, want to know more, want to grow more. 
The more that we learn about the Lord, the more that we want uh, to be revealed to us about the Lord. So after healing this man, Jesus continues with what he usually continues with, and he tells the man, all right, don't even go back into the village. Don't make a big to-do about this. Don't go back uh, hooping and hollering and shouting. And Jesus was trying to keep everything under the radar here. Verse 27. When Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Now, Jesus here, I think, is testing his disciples. He wants to make sure that they get it. Because we haven't seen a whole lot of evidence, up to this point at least in the book of Mark, that they quite get it. I mean, they, they do trust Jesus. They are following Jesus. They, they do believe that he's the Messiah. We know that all the way from back in the days of John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed it out to him. Here's the lamb that was to come. So they knew that's who they were looking for, and they even trusted him enough that they had been willing to drop everything in their lives and follow him around for all of this time that they'd been following him. So they get it, but they didn't quite get it all the way. And, and we see evidence of that even in the verses before where we saw that the disciples were still questioning, where are we going to get food from? Even when it says they didn't have much bread when they were on their travels. What are we going to eat? They had just seen Jesus feed people, thousands of people, with a, with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and yet they're questioning these things. They still hadn't quite got it together. But Jesus asked him the question here, who do you say that I am? Well, that's a good question for us to answer today. Who do we say that Jesus is? Is Jesus just a good man? Is Jesus just another prophet? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus the Savior of the world? Well, Jesus is all of those things. He's not just any of those things. He is all of those things. Jesus was a good man, but he was not just a good man. Jesus was a prophet, but he was not just a prophet. Jesus was the Son of God, but he was not just the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples got that, that they knew exactly who he was. Now, he says, who do people say that I am? Well, they, they say, well, people say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Still others say that you're one of the prophets. Now, we know that. We talked about Elijah and John the Baptist several weeks back. We won't go through all that again. But all of the different people thought he was different things. But Jesus was not Elijah. He was not John the Baptist. And he was not just the prophet. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. When we see the word Christ in our Bible, most of your translations probably say Jesus Christ a lot. Oh, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ was his title. He was the Christ. Christ means Messiah. Some of your translations may say Messiah. Some means Christ. It's the same word, just from a different language. But when we see Christ in the, in the Scripture, it means that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the Old Testament is pointing the people uh, all throughout God's, uh, God's, the history of Israel. God's people are being pointed to the Messiah, one who is going to come, one who is going to deliver them. And Jesus wanted to make sure that his apostles got it, that they knew that he was the one that had been prophesied about. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ that was to come, and indeed, he was here. 
That's why Jesus said, look, uh, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. That's why he said that very early on at the beginning of his ministry. You may remember that from the first of Mark. Jesus had come onto the scene and that's what he wanted to make sure that his apostles knew it. He didn't want to make a big to-do about it yet. He didn't want to cause a big scene. He wasn't about drawing a bunch of attention to himself, but he needed to make sure that when he was dead and gone, that there was going to be a group of men who were prepared and ready to continue on and to follow through with his ministry that he started, which is why he poured all of this energy into these men through the years of his ministry. And so Jesus is wanting to make sure, and he begins right here in this verse and throughout the rest of the book of Mark, we begin to see some things that Jesus says and does, does to prepare them for the way, to prepare them for what is to come. That is that he will soon be crucified and that they are to continue to preach and teach the message of his death and resurrection, of salvation and him and no other. And so he begins right here in this verse by saying, who do people say that I am? People say that you're John the Baptist. People say that you're Elijah. People say uh, that you're a prophet. But that's not really what Jesus was so much concerned about, at least not in this moment. Now, he wanted everybody to know that he was the Messiah, for sure. He wanted everybody to trust him and come to him. But what was most important in this moment was that his apostles knew who he was. And so he asked him in verse 29, But you, he asked them again, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Light bulb. Peter got it. He got it. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the right answer. When Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter's always bold. He's always quick to speak up. So it's no, it's no, uh, no, uh, 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 no surprise to us here that Peter was the first one to speak up and say, you are the Messiah. Peter got it. He might not have got everything. He might have opened his mouth sometimes when he shouldn't have, but he understood what was most important. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand today that Jesus wants us to come to him. He is the Messiah. He is our deliverer. He is our redeemer. He is the one who wants to take your burdens from you. He is the one and only one who can forgive you of your sins because he gave his life on a cross. He was, uh, he was buried, he was crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected. And he can forgive your sins because he is the Messiah, period. There is no other Messiah Jesus is the Messiah, and Peter got that. And Jesus wanted Peter to get that, and Jesus wants you and I to get that. And see, a lot of people that were around Jesus up to this point in his ministry, they didn't get it. Now, Jesus commends Peter in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 16 of this, of, of this uh, transaction that takes place. Uh, Jesus commends Peter, and he says, Ah, that's the right answer, Peter. And he said, But look, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. That came from the Father. The Father had revealed that to Peter. Peter didn't get that just from things of the world. He had got that because he was seeking the Father, because he was looking for the Messiah, and because God had revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah. But many of the people of Jesus' ministry up to this point, they hadn't got it. Some of them had. Some of them realized there was something about Jesus. Some of them realized, whoa, this is a man that I want to follow. This is a man that I want to listen to what he has to say. 
But there were many, as we've seen up to this point, that didn't want to hear anything that Jesus had to say. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They believed he was a heretic. They believed he was a lunatic. They believed he was demon-possessed. There was many people that Jesus had preached to. There are many people that had even seen the miracles that Jesus had done, and they still didn't recognize him as the Messiah. There were some who came to Jesus, and maybe they didn't think of him as a bad guy, but their real concern wasn't following him, wasn't listening to him, wasn't hearing what he had to say and doing what he had to say. For some of them, they simply just wanted to see a miracle. Some of the people came back to Jesus wanting some more food, and Jesus says, Ah, oh, that's the only reason you're coming back to me is because you, you were well fed. And for some people today, I'm afraid that that's what they want from Jesus, that that's what they view Jesus as, just somebody who can do miracles. And maybe that's why Jesus was, uh, was kind of limited to where he did his miracles and how uh, many people he wanted to be around to see those miracles. Because a lot of people want to come to Jesus for miracles, but they don't want to come to Jesus as their Savior. They want something from Jesus, but they don't want to serve Jesus. See, a lot of people's uh, idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about is completely reversed. It's completely flipped from what Scripture actually says. A lot of people want a Jesus who's going to serve them, but the Bible calls us that we follow Jesus and we serve Him. A lot of people don't care about listening to what Jesus says and being obedient to what Jesus says because, after all, that's too hard and we may have to quit living in our sin. I don't really want to follow Jesus and serve Jesus, but I sure would like one of those miracles, Jesus, if you got one to spare. And could you do it quickly if you're going to do it? See, a lot of people, to them, Jesus is not a Savior who's given his life, someone who they uh, should want to follow, who they do want to follow, someone who's given everything for them. For some, for those of us who are Christians, we see Jesus and we say, that's who I want to serve. He's already given me everything. Lord Jesus, you don't owe me anything. You don't have to give me anything. If you never do a miracle in my life, God, if I have to live on rice and beans and I'm in prison for the rest of my life for living for you, Lord Jesus, I'm going to serve you because you love me and I love you. Now, that's kind of what Paul did. That was Paul's life. That was Paul's ministry. And if we really truly love Jesus Christ, that should be our number one focus. Lord Jesus, I just want to serve you more than anything. But sometimes, even for Christians, our focus may get a little off. For some people, they don't come to Jesus because, well, he hadn't done anything for me. I've been praying to Jesus for years, and I've been asking for this, and I've been asking for that, and Jesus has never answered my prayers. And I wonder, are they seeking Jesus because they love Jesus? Or are they seeking Jesus because they just want to get something from him? When we seek Jesus, it should never be for what we can gain from Him. It should be that we seek Him and serve Him for what He has given for us. What can we gain from Him? We can gain forgiveness of sins, praise the Lord. Uh, we can gain strength in our weakness. We can gain somebody who teaches us and shows us what love really is. But oftentimes, people aren't looking for a Savior. They're looking for a miracle. They're looking for Jesus to do the next big thing. Jesus, if you would just do this miracle, and if you would just do it right now, well, then I would follow you. But that's not true. Because the Bible's full of people that we've seen just in the book of Mark over the last few weeks that saw Jesus do many great miracles, but yet they did not follow him. If you're coming to Jesus looking just for a miracle, then you're looking for the wrong thing. If you view Jesus as only a miracle worker, then you're missing who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He is the Messiah. And I think maybe that's why Jesus was kind of secretive. 
He didn't want people to look at him as just the Messiah. Did he want to do miracles? Absolutely. Did he want to heal people? Absolutely. Did he want to open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf? Absolutely. Jesus wants to do that. Jesus wanted to heal people. And sometimes Jesus did do that. But Jesus didn't just want people following him because he was a miracle worker. Jesus wanted people to follow him because he was the Messiah. And Jesus wants the same from us today. Are you looking today for a Jesus who will serve you? Or are you looking today for a Jesus whom you can serve? Now, praise the Lord. Jesus is good to us. Jesus does answer our prayers sometimes. Jesus does work miracles sometimes. Sometimes we miss it, and sometimes we don't give him the credit for it. Sometimes we expect Jesus to do these big grand things. And we think for God to do a miracle, it has to look extravagant. There has to be something big, physical, that we can see, that we can touch. Something that's just earth-shattering. And when we see God do those kind of things, we say, oh, God did a miracle. But God doesn't always do miracles in that way. Sometimes He does pretty grand things in the Scripture. But sometimes He does miracles as simple as He can. Sometimes Jesus just speaks the word. There's no bunch of hoopla about it. Jesus just as calm and as plain as it can be. Jesus just speaks the word and goes on his way. And the miracle is done just the same. Whether there's a bunch of big to-do that you can see that goes along with it, or whether Jesus just simply answers what you ask, the miracle is done just the same. So many times I think God does stuff in our life, but God just does it so plainly and so simply, there's not a big to-do about it, that we don't recognize it as a miracle. We just recognize it as, well, that just happened. That was just life. But God does things like that in our life. And God doesn't always act in a way that he's going to part a sea for us. But that doesn't make the miracle any less that God does in our life. Sometimes we think we have to maybe do more and, and, and act out more and, and have more of a show ourselves for God to do things, but that's just not simply the way God works. There are some things that God does as simply as He can. And there may be things that God has done in your life and you need to give God the glory for. You may not have even realized He done it. It was so subtle. It may have been something you asked, you asked for and it was just so subtle you say, well, that just kind of happened. But it didn't just happen. There are so many things that the Lord does in our lives that we don't give Him credit for. He's still in the miracle business. He's still a miracle worker, praise the Lord. He still does miracles for His people. There are still people in this world that are saved by His miracles, that probably see things that the Lord has done. The Lord gets the glory, and people begin to seek the Lord because they've seen what He's done. Praise God for that. People did that in the Bible. They saw the things He'd done. But then there are also times that maybe we'll never see a big fancy miracle. Maybe we'll never see anything like that that takes place. But does that mean that God is any less powerful? Does that mean that God is not in the miracle business? Absolutely not. But that's not why we should seek the Lord. We shouldn't seek the Lord because we want a miracle. We should seek the Lord because He's given His life for us so that we could be forgiven on the cross. He's given everything for us. Should not we give everything for Him? What are you looking for today? Are you looking for a Savior that will serve you? Are you looking for a Savior that you can serve? Well, I want to tell you, if you look for a Savior that you can serve, guess what? Jesus Christ will take care of you. I'm not saying He's going to make everything better. I'm not saying He's going to solve all your problems. I'm not saying He's going to give you all the money you want. 
I'm not saying he's going to give you the job you want. I'm not saying any of those things. But I'm telling you that if you come to Jesus and you seek him, he will provide for you and he will be there for you and he will give you all that you need and all the strength that you need to get through whatever circumstance that you're in. Don't be one today who searches, seeks for Jesus uh, just because you want something from him. We want to be those today who seek Jesus because he has already given us everything and more than we could ever deserve. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Is he your Lord and Savior? Was he just a man in the Bible? Was he just a miracle worker? Or was he the Son of God that gave his life for you? I hope today you recognize that he was the Son of God and that he did give his life for you. And I hope you realize today that there is no other Messiah apart from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. And I pray that you just would uh, bless us from getting to, to, to hear your word today. God, I pray that we know the right answer to that question. That when we read those words, who do we say you are, dear Lord Jesus? I hope everybody in here today can say that you're their Lord and Savior. But God, maybe there are some in here and they don't know you as Lord and Savior. God, maybe they're guilty of just seeking you for miracles. Maybe they're mad at you, dear Lord, because you didn't act as fast as, as they thought you should. But God, I pray that they wouldn't get sidetracked with those things, dear Lord, to know that whatever you have done and will do is the right thing to do, dear Lord. So I pray that they would seek you and that they would trust you this morning. God, I pray that if there is one in this room that has not accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Lord and Savior, that today they would. God, I pray that if there are uh, those of us in this room that are yours today, that you just keep working on us, God, that we're a work in progress. God, that we just take a little bit at a time, that we keep seeking and that you keep revealing to us, God, because any truth that we see, well, we don't get it from ourselves, dear Lord. We get it from you. We get it from your word. And so I pray, God, that as individuals and as a church, we grow in you. Uh, God, we mature in you and in your word and that we live by what it says and that we understand what it says to the best of our ability. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.